Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. If you are a return listener, I'd be grateful for your rating or review. And if you dig this episode, give us a like or share. And now, whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. My guest this episode is a former collegiate hockey player at Rutgers University. He's now a mental training and peak performance specialist with Capex Consulting, where he helps athletes and performers to optimize their potential, overcome challenges, and improve overall well-being through mental skills training and the science of sports psychology. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Donato Fanelli. are you doing today i'm doing good how are you tyler i'm doing well it's it's great to connect with you great to have you on i guess just to kind of get us started a little bit uh tell us a little bit about you know your company with capex and what you do and what kind of led you into uh mental performance yeah so uh, i'm a mental training and peak performance specialist uh for capex consulting and uh, I saw that you have my, my boss and uh, the, the owner of Capex, Dr. Amy Kimball, on, on, a, uh, on a previous podcast episode. And uh, so, yeah, so here at Capex, we do mental skills trainings with uh, teams and individual athletes. Um, I work with a wide variety of clients, um, both individual athletes and teams, um, youth sports, um, high school, prep school, college. Um, and even some non-athletes as well. So I uh, definitely get a, a pretty cool variety in uh, the types of athletes and teams that I get to work with. Nice, nice. And I know we were trying to chat offline here about the, the Denver connection. You went to school out here, it, part of their program. They have a well-renowned program. What was part of maybe, uh, maybe the highlights of, of at least what you got out of that? Yeah, so... I feel so extremely grateful for the opportunity to uh, study at DU's Mass program, Mass of, of Art and Sport and Performance Psychology. Um, there's a lot to love about the program. And so I'm, I'm hard pressed to point to just one thing that, that was the best part. Um, but it would probably have to be the people. Uh, what, a, what an amazing program and, and, and the people in that program are, are what make it so special. Um, and you've actually had one of, my, one of my classmates on a previous podcast episode, Steph Hale. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, so uh, we, we're, we're out there in, in, in the, uh, the sports like community. Um, but yeah, the, the relationships that I built and the, just, just the, the, the people that I got to be around what an awesome experience. I, I, I get it probably starts at the top with, with the professors, um, Mark, Jamie, Artur, uh, they, they do an amazing job. Jess, who is uh, now going to be leaving the program to take an, on a really cool opportunity at the USOC. Um, I think one of the really cool things about the program is that it's, since it's so well-respected and since it, some of the most prominent sports psychologists in the world are, are, are the professors there at DU. They have a lot of really good connections. And so um, the, the network we have at DU for as far as job opportunities and, and, and people to connect with are great. Um, the, the professors have their own network. And so they're always able to bring in other really cool people in the field to, to, to speak to the students sure. and all. And um, just a really well-rounded 
program of like a holistic approach as well. Yeah. Um, were you a athlete uh, in background? What kind of pushed you into like a, a life of mental performance and wanting to want to do this versus uh, some of the other great career options that DU has too? <laughs> yeah. So sports has always been the focal point of my life. Um, it, it's something that I've really bonded on with with a lot of my friends and, and and family as well. Like, I mean, just watching the Eagles game at Sunday on Sundays with my dad and sisters and and grandpa. Um, it, it, it's something that I think my, my friends and I have always connected on. Um, so sports was always the focal point of my life. And, you know, I, I love talking to people in this field about what got them into sports psychology, because I don't think anyone really grows up wanting to be the sport, wanting to be a sports psychologist. I don't think anyone dreams of being a sports psychologist. Right. You want to, you're, you're an athlete and you want to play at the highest level. Um, now, having said that, I think the one exception to this role would be my boss, Dr. Kimball. She's the, literally the only person I, I know that knew that she wanted to pursue sports psychology as a career. Sure. Um, so I played all different kinds of sports growing up, football, baseball, lacrosse, and golf. Uh, but hockey was always my main sport. Right. I was never the most talented player. Um, I was that third, fourth line, mucker grinder kind of player. I had to work my ass off for, for everything. Um, but despite not being the most talented player, I, I was fortunate enough to earn the opportunity to, to play in college at Rutgers University. And yeah. um, I was never satisfied with the role that I had. I, I always felt like since, since I worked so hard and since I had a, a good attitude, I, I was always willing to sacrifice for my team and my teammates i was always willing to do what, what whatever the coaches asked me to do i felt like the game didn't treat me fairly i felt like since i worked so hard and i loved the game so much that i should have gotten more opportunities um i i felt like that the, the game kind of treated me unfairly i felt like i loved the game so much but the game never loved me back and so by the end of my playing career, I was pretty bitter about how, how it all ended up playing out. Um, but then after my playing career was over, I got into coaching. And I used to, to joke around even during my playing career that I had, I had Charlie Conway syndrome, where I, I knew I'd just make a, a better coach than a player. And so after my playing career was over, I got into coaching. And through coaching hockey, I was able to see the game from a completely different perspective than I ever did as a player. And very quickly, I realized that what held me back most throughout my career was my mental game. It wasn't so much a lack of talent as much of a lack of confidence. I really struggled to keep my emotions and check out on the ice. I would constantly overthink things and dwell on mistakes and just put way too much unnecessary pressure on myself. And so this realization of the importance of the mental side is what sparked the interest in sports psychology and ultimately led me to pursuing my master's degree in sport and performance psychology from the University of Denver. Oh, love it. What, uh, you're right. I think I, I ask a lot of people on the podcast kind of their journey and uh, no one's told me, you know, as, a, as an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old who wanted to go into sports psych, right? Yeah. Um, a, lot, a lot of former athletes, you know, and a lot of self-experienced challenges. I think that is one of the other common denominators, whether it's 
transitioning into coaching and realizing this missing gap or people that had injuries and had to adjust. And so there's a lot of, I think, just, I'd say the largest common denominator I do get is this theme of adjustment and adapting, whether it's out of sports from college or injury or overcoming some other physical adversity in sport it is really that, that biggest common denominator I see. And then pivot to people that want to help kids and coaches, I think. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there, there were so many times throughout grad school where we would, we would learn about something and I would kind of have this moment of just like, damn, why did anyone teach me that while I was still playing hockey? <laughs> right. but, but that's, I think that's one of the things that I love most about this work is being able to pass along this really helpful information that I wish I had when I was in my, in, in my client's shoes and, and still playing sports competitively. But I, th I think the most unexpected benefit about learning about sports psychology is how I've been able to take all of these mental skills and apply them to my own personal life. You know, like at, at the end of the day, the, these, these mental skills aren't just for sport. These are life skills that you can apply into all, all areas of your life. And so I feel like leaving, leaving DU, I was equipped with a skill set to overcome any challenge or adversity that, that life has, will, will throw my way. And, um, you know, even in, in the few years since I have graduated from DU, I find myself often applying this stuff in, in yeah. real world challenges. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think when it's, when it's done well, I think you even say something on your website. It's like, I don't want to be your lifetime coach, right? Like, I want to give you a, a skill set that you can further and develop and recognize on your own that, you know, gives you some strength and courage on your own. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, another thing I kind of saw in there is you, you talk about, I like the way you put your philosophy. Um, you kind of shared four aspects. Could you kind of share quickly kind of what those are and, and why they're included in kind of the way you work? Yeah, for sure. So I think first and foremost, it starts with building relationships. Um, I'm, I'm all about being really genuine and authentic and, and showing empathy to, to my clients. Um, and I, I look at them as the person before the player, care about the person bef before the player. I always tell my clients, listen, your goals are important to me. I want to help you to become the best athlete that you can be. But what's even more important to me than helping you to become a better athlete is helping you to become a better person. Yeah. And not only, you know, helping, do I want to build a relationship with my clients, but I want to help them to be able to build relationships with their coaches and teammates and families. And so it starts with building relationships. Uh, I would say the second aspect is the individualized approach. The mental skills aren't one size fits all. It's a little bit different for everybody. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you meet the client where, where they're at. I, it, it's not my job to have all the right answers. It's not my job to tell my clients what's, what to do. Right. I think it's more so that my job is to ask the right questions. So that way together we can figure out what's going to be the right answer for you. I'm the expert on the mental skills, but you're the expert on yourself and, and your game. And so we'll work together as a team and collaborate to figure out what would be best for you. Uh, the third aspect would be the, the scientific humanistic approach. Um, sports psychology is both an art and a science. Now, a lot of the pop psychology stuff I see out there on social media and the internet is just, it, it's just so cringeworthy. You know, it, it's just so cheesy and corny. I think it's important to 
make sure that everything I, I, I do and talk about all the interventions, all the mental skills, like all of this stuff is backed by science. They're empirically sure. validated methods that are backed by research and science. Um, but having said that, there is an art to this work as well, too. You know, I could rattle off a bunch of studies and scientific data, but what does that mean for the client? You know, and so figuring out how to package this scientific information and pass it along to each individual in a way that resonates with them. Um, and then the fourth aspect would be a process-focused skill building. Mental skills are skills. It's, yeah. These aren't shortcuts or quick fixes. They're skills. So just like with any other skill, they take some time and practice to, to develop. Love it. You, uh, you were talking there. It's kind of thinking, especially I love when you talk about the relationships because everyone is unique. Um, can you talk about how sometimes maybe when you're in that environment differs when you're working, maybe brought in to do mental skills with a team versus uh, an individual? So I think, you know, obviously when you, when you meet with an individual, you get to, to talk to them one-on-one -on -one and really get to know them as a person first. And like in, in, in my first session, I probably spend most of the time just asking them about who they are as a person, what, what they like to do off the field, what, what are their hobbies and interests, what, what's, what's their family like, what do they like to do when they're hanging out with their friends. When I'm with the team, you know, to be, I don't always have that luxury of being able to talk to everyone one-on-one -on -one and build those individual right. relationships as well. Um, but there are fun and creative ways to do that. You know, a lot of times just, just showing up, showing face, being around, being around the team at, you know, going to practices, showing up at games, being there to support them. That means a lot to players. A lot of times time. it means a lot to the coaches. Um, a lot of times it's just like those little side conversations that you have, you know, you're hanging out of practice and you just make a little small talk. Um, and so that's right. There's an opportunity to, to, to build relationships. Um, what I, what happens a lot of times though, is like working with teams and individuals is a lot of times the, the individual is a little bit hesitant to like reach out and come to talk to me. Um, for better or worse, I do think there's still a little bit of like that stigma or taboo. And they, anytime you hear psychology, it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh no, like there's something wrong with me. I don't want to go and talk to this guy. It means something wrong with me. Um, and, you know, without getting, going off on too much of a, of a tangent on why that's incredibly off base, I get why there's still that stigma. I don't take it personally. But what I, I think what happens a lot of times is when I meet with the team, I uh, I get that opportunity to put on like a teacher hat and teach something that that's valuable for everyone. Okay. But then that kind of just like normalizes this work and, and they understand that it's not, it's not the same as like counseling or therapy. It's not like, you know, coming and talking with me doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. You, yeah. you see that there, there it, it's working on the mental side of your game. And so I think a lot of times in go, working with the team, um, that makes the individual then more comfortable to reach out and, and, and come to meet with me one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. I've lately been coming back to like a lot that <laughs> mental training reminds me a lot of foam rolling. <laughs> like no, like several years ago, no one was foam rolling on these, you know, <laughs> like, and like you, so many athletes have understood it and then seen some results, felt the pain from it 
and it's not yeah. comfortable. Um, but now everyone kind of does it and you just, and you don't do it all day. You do it a little yeah. bit every day. And it's like, yeah. what does it do to your muscle? Like it creates a little flow and a little space. And like, sometimes we need a little flow and a little space. And so it's, it, I think, you know, those team opportunities do, I think the more coaches can even in any way, um, get people to share some knowledge and foundational stuff that can help opens that door and opens that curiosity. And I think you tell me too, like when you're around competitive people, when they see something curious that could help them, what do they do? They, they, they want to learn more. I mean, I, I think the, the best athletes in the world are lifelong learners. They're, they're always striving to, to learn and get better. Um, and as you get to higher and higher levels of sport, I think the mental side becomes more and more pertinent. You know what? In, in youth sports or like the high school level, the better athlete, the more, the more skilled team is going to win most of the time. Yeah. But as you move up the ranks and get to higher levels and you're like the college and the pros, everyone has the physical abilities. Everyone has the technical skills and the tactical knowledge. So I think as you get to higher levels, the game becomes more and more mental. Um, but what I see with, with a lot of athletes and a lot of coaches is they, they know what to do. They, they know like the what as far as the mental game. It's like, well, yeah. we know we need to be confident. We know we need to stay focused and be motivated. But no one ever tells them how. Yeah. And I think that's like really the, the big benefit is like learning how. So like I hear coaches say all the time, all right, we got to focus. <laughs> okay, great. Like, what are we focusing on? How, how do we focus? How, how do we block out those distractions? How do we get our focus back to where we need it to be? You know, you hear like the, this idea of like focusing on the process. It's a cool buzz phrase now. Right. But then like, I, I'll ask them like, okay, like, what is your process? What does that mean to focus on the process? And they're like, uh, I don't, I don't know. And so like, that's like, we're, like I think digging deeper below like the, the surface level and, and teaching the how is a real benefit. Can you talk about too? I think it's important because I think just like these coaches are well-intended, they know some of the what um, I find one of the most important things is, is also within the team and the members of that team, like defining some of that, that language. Can you talk about kind of how important it is so that people are operating on the mental game on the same page and not, <laughs> So there's some shared definitions. Yeah, absolutely. And um, sometimes just like those simple questions of like, what, what is your process? It like blows coaches' minds. They're like, oh, wow. Like that, that uh, I never like thought of it like that. Um, there's a lot of buzz phrases we hear thrown around a lot of sports, like, you know, focus on the process, me mental toughness, and, and, and all those kinds of cool, fancy buzz phrases a lot of this stuff, like, I don't know a, an official definition. Like, I, I, I don't know an official definition of what it means to focus on the process. I don't have an official definition for mental toughness. How do you define it? What, it, what does it mean to you? And so now, like, we can identify, okay, this is what it means to you. Now we can figure out how to do it. Yeah. Right? So, like, whatever your process is as a team, and it's different for every team. It's different for every sport. At the end of the day, I don't really care what the process is. I think it's more important that we know what that process is and we know how to execute it consistently. Yeah. Have it. I mean, so you know what to do. How does it apply to day to day, right? Exactly. You know, when you can get it to that point. Um, 
One of the other things I've seen you write about that I liked, um, especially I think, you know, student athletes sometimes get caught up in what's, you know, superstitious versus routine. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about maybe the difference and then, you know, the benefits of what, you know, building, constructing and, you know, tinkering with your routines can do for you? Yeah. So when we're talking about routines, it's a sequence of actions that is regularly followed to prepare you for a given task. Um, everyone has their routines, whether they're aware of them or not. Um, and basically what it comes down to is consistency. Consistent preparation leads to consistent performance. If we're not consistently preparing for the, the game in, in the same way, why would we expect to perform consistently? Um, if you prepare for each and every game, each and every practice, like it's the championship game, then when you get to the championship game, you can prepare for it just like it's any other game. Um, a lot of athletes are creatures of habit. And I think a lot of them kind of lump in superstitions with routines. Stu superstitions have nothing to do with performance, no matter how much we think they might. Right. Um, and I think that the thing about roots, about the superstitions is that they tend to get more elaborate over time and they control us versus the other way around. See, most um, time, would you say right. most time they're external, like the lucky sock or the lucky, like, it's also like, I, I've always kind of heard like you're driving your, it's from an external source. Like how's your sock normally help you? Yeah, I, I do. I do think a lot, that, that's a great point. I think a lot of time it is, it is external. Um, a lot of hockey players are very superstitious. Like, you know, you can, I can only use white tape or I, I had one teammate who after he would tape his stick, he couldn't, he couldn't put it down unless it was to touch the ice. And so like if his stick, after he taped his stick before a game, if his stick would touch the ground before we went on the ice, he would have to retape his stick. Well, that becomes problematic when, we're, we're getting ready to go out for the game and he drops his stick and now, oh, wait, I got to take my tape off and retape it. And now he's late for warmups. Um, now, having said this about superstitions, uh, my school of thought, I, I, I steal from uh, Michael Scott. One of, the, one of the first episodes of The Office, he has a funny, Michael Scott has a funny line where he says, I'm not superstitious but I am a little stitious. Right. And so that's kind of my school of thought when it comes to superstitions. Like if taping your stick a certain way or wearing your lucky sock, if that helps you to feel more comfortable and it makes you think you're going to play better, go for it. Now just do it because you want to do it. Not, not necessarily because you have to do it. I think with, when it comes to like these superstitions and rituals, I, I kind of feel like it almost gives the athlete a sense of control before stepping into a largely uncontrollable environment. Like, you know what, your lucky sock or your, the, the tape on your stick, that's not going to in, in affect how you play, but you know, you tell yourself it's going to affect how you play. Now it, 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 it like psychologically, maybe it is. And so it's that sense of control. Like, I don't know, I can't control what's going to happen in this game, but I can control how I tape my stick and what happens to it before the game. Yeah. And so I think just the, it gives them that little peace of mind. But, you know, I just educate my clients on the difference between superstitions and routines. Um, and, you know, like, just if you have a superstition, great, do it, go for it. Just do it because you want to do it, not because you have to do it. Just hold it lightly. Um, now, as far as routines, 
themselves, uh, what makes them effective? Well, obviously, first and foremost, consistency. We want to be consistent with that. But having said that, it's equally important to keep them really simple, flexible, and adaptable. Yeah. We don't want to have these routines that are really complicated and intricate and rigid because the more intricate and rigid they become, the more likely that something could disrupt them. And so it's not so much like the specific activity or the specific amount of time. It's more so like, okay, what's the concept that I want to incorporate into my routine and what are some strategies I could use to implement that, that routine? Um, And I honestly, I think that's some advice I got, I have to give to myself. Um, I get caught up in like focusing too much on my pre-shot routine in golf all the time. (laughs) And it's like, I'm, I'm focusing on, the steps of my routine rather than just like focusing on preparing for the shot. Yeah. And it's like, I'm like, uh, I'm getting too complicated and rigid with this. Like, let's just relax a little bit and keep it more simple and just hit, hit the shot. So like, if, if we need to think about what to do for the routine, it's too complicated. Like sure. it should be like one of those things. It's just automatic. It's so simple. Right. It creates that, creates that momentum to where you want to go. Like you were saying, um, one more question as we wrap up, we always like to ask, you talked about younger you on the ice. I think I was, a, I know I was an emotional wreck as a youth athlete <laughs> sometimes. Um, but if you had to get in a time machine and go visit 16 year old, you, what, uh, what one piece of advice would you want to tell your younger self? Yeah. So I, I mean, obviously I have checked, checked out a couple of your, the, your older podcast episodes. So I, I was ready for this question. Um, I'm going to assume first and foremost that I can't, it, it would be against the rule for me to give myself the information of time travel when I was 16 year old. Cause I think that'd be pretty valuable, you know, and in, in early investor in, in that technology, but I'm assuming that's uh, like that's off the table. It's like asking me to beanie for extra wishes. Um, I thought about this a lot and I don't know if my 16 year old self would listen to anything current, current me had to say. I think when I was 16, I was so stubborn and hard headed that it would have just gone in one ear and out the other. I think 16 year old me needed to make mistakes and mess up and, and, and scrape his knees in order to get to where I am today. Um, but I think the one lesson that that would have been the most valuable for me to have at that age is the, the difference between emotionally driven decisions and values driven decisions. Mm-hmm. When you make an emotionally driven decision, when you do what you feel like doing in the short term, you get a little reward, but in the long term, there's, there's a roadblock or a consequence. When we make decisions based upon our values in the short term, it's challenging, it's uncomfortable, it's hard, but in the long run, there's the reward. Thank you for listening. If something caught your ear as useful or unique this episode, we would love your help spreading the Elevate message. You can find me on Instagram at Elevate Educate Rejuvenate. That's with the numeral instead of the A-T-E. Thank you again. And if I can help you with anything, please reach out. And don't forget, go elevate others.